Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Wow. Uh, You said something about the newcomers, and someone else shared the same thing about how the newcomers helped that helped him the most. And that's that, you know, that could be a sweet sentiment, but I think that it's more than a sweet sentiment. I think it's really true. And I think they knew it. And that's why they said it. And that's kind of a secret here. Um, What's keeping by God's grace, I'm sober today. And I don't think it's just because I'm, I was sober yesterday. I think it's because I recognize that I'm unable to successfully use lust. Um, just like an alcoholic's unable to successfully drink. And, and I recognize that I have, my nature is to have all kinds of requirements and expectations from life. Um, and when I, when I believe all that stuff is true, I, I play God and I'm not really living in life. I'm trying to direct and that doesn't work. And when I hear a newcomer or someone just say, I only have today, that really, it really means a lot to me because My sobriety date, I count as the day I acted out last. Because I'm not sober because I'm not using lust. I'm sober because I used lust enough. Um, Something happened where it just added up and it became clear to me that that something's wrong and um, I, I can't. I, something's wrong with me. I, I, I can't use this stuff. I'm too sick to use it. It finally was like, was proved to me. Instead of just being a frustration and an annoyance, it became clear to me that even though it's the sweetest thing, it's the sweetest thing ever to me. It's, there's nothing quite, there's nothing that comes close to it. There's nothing like it, but, um, um, but I, I can't use it. I'm too sick to use it. Um, I meet a newcomer and, but by the way, there's just some background noise. I'm, I, I know it's not me because there's nothing here, but I, I don't know if there's anybody who wants to help with that. That would be awesome. Um, I, I, I know that, I know that a newcomer who walks in the room and says, wow, there's somebody who's sober for 10 years or something. That's something, you know, that's, that, that's, that's different. Yeah. There's a lot that happens to us over time. The time goes by and it's magical. There's life gets easier. Self-honesty is easier. Acceptance is easier. And life is different. But it's not about staying sober anymore. Um, it's about something else. It's about accepting life on life's terms and being at peace with that. Um, it's a whole different kind of life. It's a whole different kind of way of living. But when I walked into the first meeting that I walked into, um, I was sober for a very, very short time. And something, I had something, I had a gift of something. I, I had a first step to some degree, at least at that time. And, and, and that's why I chose to work this program. That, that's why I chose to work the steps to get a sponsor, to, to stop telling the truth to myself and to start telling it to other people. Um, a person who's really good at lying and protecting the most important and precious thing they've got 
um, making sure that they don't say anything today that contradicts their alibis from yesterday. You know, a person who's really good at lying um, doesn't get self-honest by, tell, by, by being honest to him, to him or herself. A person like me, I believe, gets self-honesty by being honest with other people first. So I, I needed a group of other people to admit why I was there too and who I was, what's going on. I couldn't use a fake name or put a bag over my head or, you know, and, and, and I, I had so little time, sobriety time at that time. And then I look and I see, well, you know, if I, I'm sober for, for, for one, one day at a time since years ago, how did that happen? Well, it was because every day was the same. Uh, to some degree, every day was touched by that first time I walked in, knowing I'm too sick to use this stuff. There's no question about it. And I can't live the way I used to live. And my ears are always open for, am I still living in a way that's doing it the hard way? Is there something I can learn from what the other person's sharing? Somebody can walk in the room with one day of sobriety, you know, this, this counting the day thing. And let's say they turn out to be, um, to have the next 35, 45, 50 years sober. They've got something today that's special, I believe, today. And they probably don't know it. Only God knows it. And I can learn from them. So there's really no difference in that respect between someone with an hour of sobriety or 35, 40, 50 years of sobriety. As far as I'm concerned, there's something, there's something there. There's some secret there. And anyhow, um, my topic, my topic uh, <laughs> was about the connection between steps four, five, six, and step one. Um, uh, whoops, if I move around, it'll be distracting to people. Um, in the, in the doctor's opinion in, in AA, um, which is probably the only thing except for the appendices, um, some of the stuff in the appendices that was written by a non-alcoholic in, in AA literature, I guess. Um, it, but it's so important. He had seen so many people who kept trying to stop drinking and just couldn't do it. And, and he, he writes about how constitutionally these people are unable to, to drink successfully. Bill calls it unable to drink like a gentleman. I noticed how the first step doesn't say, uh, we admitted that we're powerless against alcohol. <laughs> But instead, it says, we admitted that we're powerless over alcohol, sort of like the way I'm powerless over an 18-wheeler. I don't know how to shift gears. I don't, I don't know where a clutch is. Um, I couldn't control that thing if the driver jumped out and there I was. You know, <laughs> I couldn't control it. I couldn't control a helicopter. I'm, if a helicopter is running and moving and I'm in it, I, I, I'm powerless over the helicopter. I, I can't. I can pull on the sticks like they do in the movies or something, but I'm, I don't have power over the helicopter. I, I just can't successfully use it. Maybe I could learn how. I mean, I'm pretty sure I could. But lusting was something I practiced doing for 20 years. So I should have figured it out by then. And somehow I got worse and worse at using it. <laughs> it, it made my life worse and worse. It destroyed more and more blessings in my, I got better and better at destroying all the blessings that God put in my life. The longer I, I used my drug. So that's kind of weird. Normally you would, you know, get really good at something if you keep practicing it. So it was kind of frustrating. What, why is this happening? Until I realized there's something with me. There's something going on with me. I'm unable to successfully, constitutionally unable to use erotic adventure successfully. 
Um, and I looked around me and saw other people seem to be using it successfully. And I think that many people can. I have no reason to believe that they can't just because I can't. I don't, misery doesn't have to love company that much for me. I, I can look at them and say, yeah, maybe they can use it. But I, I can't. I don't know if they can, but I, I don't know. But I can't. And that's, that's different. That was a whole different way of looking at things. And Bill writes this in the big book. He writes uh, two places. He says, the first place he writes, we have a simple test to know whether, whether you're an alcoholic. He doesn't say go to a bar and try not to drink. <laughs> he doesn't say that anywhere. He says, go to a bar, buy a few drinks and drink them um, and see what happens to you. And then he says, and I think is an amazing thing. He says, try this more than once. Because he admits that even an alcoholic will sometimes be able to control alcohol. Sometimes, get away with it, sometimes. Um, but, but, but not if you keep doing it. Not, not in anything like a consistent basis. He admits that we have no power against the first drink, but he qualifies that in the big book by saying on occasion, occasionally, sometimes. It's not about, it's not principally to me, it seems that powerlessness isn't about being unable to resist uh, alcohol. It's not powerlessness against it, it's powerlessness over it. And that's why um, I need to be sober because. Because if it were just that I can't resist it, so let's say I stay sober for a year. So, I mean, why do I have to stay sober <laughs> indefinitely? What is it, punishment for all the drinking or all the acting out I've done? So you can't have any more. <laughs> You've had enough. You know, it's, it's, the, it's the recognition that I can't successfully control it, period. And I give up on trying to successfully control erotic adventure. You know. I, I just can't use it in my life successfully, whether I'm married, unmarried, you know, whatever. Whether it's with my spouse, my, my, myself, anybody in my mind, I, I'm unable to su successfully use erotic adventure. It's not even sex. That's not even the issue. So, of course, the only way to quantify sobriety is with sex. You can't say, well, you lusted, you lost your sobriety. <laughs> How do you define that exactly? So I think Roy liked to prefer, I'm guessing he preferred to call it sexaholics instead of lustaholics, even though lust is clearly the problem. Um, we can't measure it. There's no way to have a sobriety definition that way that, that we can all unite on. But he knew we could all unite on, on that one definition of no sex with self. And, and, and if I don't have progressive freedom from lust, um, which means engaging in erotic adventure, um, to put it plainly, um, if I don't have progressive freedom from that, uh, I'm going to keep thinking, I'm going to stay confused. And like I was for 20 years, thinking that I could use this. And whenever I found out I couldn't use it successfully because everything turned to crap, I would just scratch my head and wonder like, hmm, is it because the police officer stopped me? Is it because, uh, you know, so-and-so is angry at me or, or God or it's sinful behavior or, or my wife is, you know, wants to strangle me? Like all these people get in my way, all these things get in my way, you know, and I, uh, I, I keep acting out when it causes the most damage, you know, studying for a test and I need the time the most and here I go having my worst spree, like, <laughs> hey, that's me. So I can't use it at all anymore, obviously. It's not a punishment. So, so let me stop here for a second and look at step four, five, and six. Four, well, four and five are the same. Four, five is principally in order, I think. I mean, I'm, again, I'm going to just say it as I see it. I'm not speaking for, for SA or the 12 steps. <laughs> Um, uh, five is just, is just admitting to another person like the 12 and 12 clarifies admitting to another person is the way that I face the truth and accept the truth. So it's really just the deepening and solidification of step four.
um, of my step four. So, so what happens in my fourth step? Um, I have all these instincts and stuff. Self-preservation is 90% of them are about self-preservation. I'm not an evil person. I certainly don't want to hurt myself. And, I, you know, if I ever want to hurt others, it's, it's to help myself, not because I want to hurt somebody in order to cause them some kind of harm. If they hurt me, then that helps me somehow in my mind by, you know, hurting them maybe. But, but it's always for me. It's about just the instincts of self-preservation. Um, so, so when I look at that stuff and I see that um, life is too uncomfortable, you know, I can't accept life as it is. And I do my little, um, well, big, whatever, uh, um, inventory on resentments is the first thing. Go through my four columns. And, uh, and I come to terms with the facts about how I respond to life, wh why it's so miserable to me. And, you know, eventually, if life stays this way, I'm going to probably end up drinking again, acting out again. Um, do, I, do I use the word trigger all the time? No, because that's blaming other people for me feeling this way. You made me sad. You know, you triggered me. You made me sad, triggering a landmine. You know, I walked across, you know, pulled on the string with my foot by accident, God forbid, and there it goes. So someone else did something or said something. If I'm going to keep thinking you triggered me, I'm in a victim mindset. How do I know that? Because of two things. One is that, um, that step six is right there. And step six says... And the big book and the 12 and 12 are very clear on this to me is not just do I take ownership and admit that I have these things like I do in steps four and five, but do I admit that I choose these things? I prefer these things, these ways of responding to these situations over any other way of responding to these situations that I can think of. Are these my chosen preferred responses to things that happen to me, things that people say, conditions, events? Um, so, you know, or, or are these just things that I've got, like, uh, like something got on me and, ah, you know, there it is happening again, you know, and I'm a victim again, whether it's nature or nurture. Step six is saying, are you ready to have God remove these defects of character? Well, why wouldn't I be? You need a whole separate step for that. I mean, come on, you know, make it 11 steps. You know, why do you need a sixth step? Well, consider this well. Are you really ready to have God remove these? Why wouldn't I be? And the answer is simple, because I love them. Like the big book says, we, we love hating people. We love nursing. hate. We love these things. When we get angry, we know exactly what to expect. Just like the porn, it always ends the same way. <laughs> It's predictable. Life becomes predictable. They do this. I want to punch them in the face. You know, life is it's predictable. It's easy. The unknown, ugh, you know, the things I can't control and just letting life happen and stuff. That's a, that's, that's a spiritual way to live. That's not what I want to do. I want to be in control. I want to have some familiarity and, you know, not because I'm bad, but because it feels easier. It's more comfortable. So um, that's the whole idea of being dissatisfied comes from having demands, expectations and demands are just wanting to be comfortable too much, you know? So step six is admitting to myself, it means to me, admitting to myself that these are things that I choose. It doesn't mean I'm evil. It just means that these are things I don't have to figure out why I choose them. It's just a fact. I choose these things. I prefer these things. These are my defaults. I prefer them. And it's not so simple that I'm ready to have God remove them. They're my buddies. They're my old buddies. So, um, so I need to consider that carefully. And when I walk through the street and I say, uh, and I hear people saying, you know, I was triggered and, you know, I'm powerless, right? Aren't I powerless? So, I've heard countless people already say 
what basically is tantamount to since I came in this program, I have to act out because isn't that our basic tenant that I'm powerless over this? I can't stop. And that's why I'm going to repeat the definition of powerlessness. Definitely the inability to stop is what got our attention. But if nobody could quit at all, then nobody would be sober. Sorry. There are some people that get magic powder sprinkled on them and they quit. They have an event, a light shining and who knows what, but not everybody. And even them, I'm not sure what really happened. What I know though, is that I've quit thousands of times. What was wrong? What was wrong was I thought I could successfully control it and have a little bit. I thought it was crazy. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I thought I was sure, not I thought, I was sure that it was crazy for me to never have this again. Crazy. But the commitment to sobriety, you can call it one day at a time and say, I'm only sober for today. That's very comforting. But the fact is that if I say to myself, I'm sober today because I'll be able to act out tomorrow, it ain't going to work. You know, (laughs) it's not going to work at all. I either surrender it today or I don't surrender it at all. And when I surrender it today, it means not that I'm just surrendering it for one day, but that I'm living in today and today only. Today is my only concern. Tomorrow, living in tomorrow means emotionally being in tomorrow. That's what we call self-centered fear. Living in yesterday emotion means emotionally being present in yesterday. And that's what we call like shame and guilt. Living in today is just being what God is doing, living this life that's being given to me as me. You know, there's no way I can, I'm sorry to use a crass example, but there's no way I can push hard enough in the bathroom today so that I won't have to go tomorrow. There's no way I can breathe enough now so that I won't have to breathe in a minute from now or tomorrow. I mean, it's, it's the present. So of course I'm only sober for the present, you know, let your child know that, you know, you're only their parent for today. You might not be their parent for tomorrow. That, that's, that's, that's nuts. If I come to a first step and I realize I'm powerless over this stuff and I have the humility to assume that Once that's true about me, chances are until somehow it gets proven otherwise, it's probably going to remain that way. That's a humility. That's a humble thing. My sponsor used to tell me once an addict, always an addict is a humble attitude. It's a wise, humble attitude. There's no rule like that. Nobody knows. But it's a humility that I accept that, yeah, until somehow it's proven to me otherwise, and I'm I'm not ready to experiment, I'm powerless over lust. It's not that I'm powerless against it again. It's that I'm powerless over it. So so step one in the way to look at lust is kind of how I look at four, five, six, two, because four, five, six as well, because, and I'm going to try to wrap wrap up here, is that it, because when I recognize that I'm I'm not being made to feel certain ways by other people doing things to me, I need to be free of them. By, um, by letting go of my character defects in step seven. But if that's going to happen, I can't be a victim anymore. I have to recognize I'm the one, I have a hand in this. I do sincerely choose. I don't just have my character defects. I choose my character defects. It could have been that they were put on me or given to me. But the fact is, one way or another, I practiced this default. This is my default button, and I take ownership of that. And I'm the only one who can decide to surrender it to God because it's mine, completely mine. It's not just a sickness that I have. I have, God forbid, cancer, and I'm willing to have God remove it. (laughs) This is different. These are my old buddies. I'm the only one who can do step six. No one can do it for me. God won't do it for me. My sponsor won't do it for me. Well, maybe God will do it. I don't know. But but it's about me becoming willing to have God remove them. Me, 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 because they're mine. I don't just have them. I chose them. I practiced them. I honed this. And it's the same thing as becoming a sexaholic. I didn't just naturally become a sexaholic by accident. 
when people say I was exposed to porn, and I'm not talking about people who are molested, that's an entirely different chapter. Uh, uh, you know, that's a different story. I'm talking about people, when I discovered porn, I knew, I found it, and I ran with that ball. And I honed and perfected the art of being a luster. I made myself the kind of person who walks through the street and it's just unbearable. And that's why, and since I accept that, and I'm not just being triggered as a verb by other people, that's not how, that's not the issue here. Um, since I accept that, I actually have work to do. I actually can get better. I actually can do something. There's steps for me to do, like your name of your group. That's don't just uh, don't just talk. Thanks. Don't just talk about it. Do it. <laughs> That's the name of your group. You know. So, yeah, um, that might not be clear to everyone, but I think it's 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 vital for me behind everything. Um, yeah, the blame game's over. The pity party's over. And um, yeah, so I, once again, I just want to say thank you again for being able to be in a room with other people who, who accept themselves just like I do and giving me the, the guts to do that about myself. That's what happened when I walked into my first meeting. And um, that's why I'm still here. So uh, Nancy, thank you for the opportunity. And I don't know what else you guys do now. Hey, everybody, Daniel, uh, Lester, Paul, Dom, thanks so much. Uh, Dom, I took away uh, several things from your talk, you know, being powerless over. I really like that framework. I really found it helpful to think about the trigger, reframe that too. So thank you so much for sharing. And uh, my question for you is, uh, what do you, when do you think you really accepted that you were powerless over uh, lust? You know, you just realized you couldn't use it anymore. What, what made that really deeply click for you? Thanks, Pat. Wow. That's a great question. Uh, it, it definitely occurred to me February 28th when I was in a massage parlor and realized that this isn't working um, at all. And, uh, and uh, the, you know, uh, probably the very first time didn't work either. <laughs> it left me feeling more empty during, you know, the whole thing. And but this time was just felt different. So I, I was given a gift at that time, but I didn't know what it was. I think that when I walked in and after that, I was too scared to act out. I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to end up back here again. I can't stand it. Help, you know. And, uh, and then I went to that first meeting and I realized I started it started to dawn on me that, you know, there is such a thing as living a life that doesn't that doesn't include this anymore like living a life that's free of this and I won't die without it, number one. And, you know, as Sandy Beach and, and Chuck C and, 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 you know, others have said, the alcoholic's problem isn't alcohol. Excuse me, it's sobriety. Sobriety is unbearable. So that's why 11 and a half of the steps don't have to do with alcohol or lust. It's about life. So, so, so the, the, even the second step doesn't say God will grant us sobriety. It talks about sanity. So uh, that seems to be the problem. So, um, so, so yeah, when I, as I went to meetings and saw that people are actually living without this, it started like gelling, not gelling intellectually, but I, I, I'm not smart enough for that, but, but emotionally it started to become acceptable to actually live without this. And, um, and that process, I think, continued. And then when I wrote my first step out in, on paper um, and reread it that day that I delivered it, nine months after walking into the, the room, by the way, about, no, it was 11th, I did my first step. Um, when, I when I read through the whole thing before I shared it, it was the first time that I looked at the entire um, progression, uh, the, the whole picture of how lust morphed and went with me through my whole life and what it, and, and, and what I, I had become and what this means about me, not in a judgmental way, just in an acceptance way. And it changed everything. So sharing my first step kind of was like a nail in the coffin, I think, 
on that old lifestyle. Um, that's the best I can do to answer your question. I'm, I'm really sorry to interrupt. Thanks, I, Steph. Uh, I, I just realized I have to go. Um, I got pulled into something and I'm, I'm going to have to drop my timing. But great job, Dove. Thanks, everybody. Thank Thanks, you for Gardner. your timing. I think Buddy, you had also offered in the beginning. Yes, yeah, so I'll, I'll hand over Thank you very much. Okay. Now, I don't see other hands raised right now. I have a question. Um, Dove, can, you talked about powerlessness over lust, and then you talked about having a choice. That sounds real different. I wonder if you could talk about that. Right. I, I have a choice to most of the time, maybe not all the time, as the book says, most of the time I have a choice over experimenting with this stuff uh, and trying to use it to some extent. Um, that's the craziness of a sexaholic thinking even entertaining the idea that I am, I might be normal today, you know, and able to use this drug the way that other people seem to be able to use it and get away with it. Uh, that's my insanity. That's one level, one version of it. Um, it's forgetfulness, like people have said, uh, it's a disease of, it's a disease of forgetting, you know, and think that, and thinking that I have, you know, that, that I can use lust and still have a choice and still control it and say, okay, I had enough. No, now I'm getting in too much trouble. That's, that's not likely to happen. Um, I'm, I'm going to use it and I'm sober as a dead man right this minute. But if I use it, my entire way of seeing everyone, you, me, them, everyone is going to change. Um, not just sexually, but, but in, I'm going to turn into a person because I use lust, not just have a desire. Having a desire is not, that's not lusting. That's just, everybody has desires. If I use lust, if I pursue erotic adventure, then, then I, I will very quickly change and my whole brain can chemistry, my way of thinking and seeing everything is going to change. And I'm going to turn, I've come to see over time that I'm going to, one of the subtle changes that's going to happen is that my vacuum cleaner, so to speak, is going to switch from, from out mode to in mode in not sexually only, but with respect to everything. And I'm going to change in terms, my way of looking at the past is going to change. My way of looking at the future is going to change. I'm going to become an, a, a, a creature that that needs to, that becomes incredibly hungry very quickly. Um, I'm going to become ironically take sit in God's chair and try to manage my life and everything else and other people. I you know all that stuff's going to change because that's what lust, erotic event, engaging in lust, drinking as an alcoholic isn't affected by a bottle of alcohol sitting there and ideation about maybe I can drink. That doesn't change everything. Drinking changes it. So, so that's what the sobriety definition is about. It's, it's, it's some bottom line thing that I know, like if I do that, I believe things will change and I will not be able, to, that's why I'm in this program. If someone has a different definition of what it takes for them to change into a person who's useless to even themselves then let them join that program and define their sobriety that way. We have no truck with that, but that's my definition of, that's what works for me here. And that's why I'm here. One of the reasons that I'm here. Uh, am I kind of responding to what you said? I think. I think so too, thanks. Right now, I don't see any other hands up, so I'm going to open this up for folks who have less than 30 days of sobriety. Thank you. Speak up. We have a lot of experience, strength, and hope sitting in front of us to answer questions. 
I, I, Can I jump yeah. in? Please. Yeah, go ahead, Akiva. Hey, Dove. Long time no see. Uh, question like this. Um, working steps one, four, five, and six, when wife is really, really, really beautifully dressed, yet she's getting on your nerves if she, and she's not available. Your experience in that area. I, I smile a lot. I try to be of service to her and I tell her how much I love her. And I behave that way. I, I do loving things for her a lot. And that uh, takes me down a different path. And it satisfies me, I, I think, because I don't, I, I, I lose that struggle, that crazy struggle of, you know, because logically it's like, oh, she's well-dressed. She looks nice. Let me let me use her. I guess it's time for me to use her. That's nuts. That has nothing to do with love or anything, you know. Um, I also tell her. I communicate with her, and I say, and this changes depending on the relationship and 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 your spouse and all that. I tell her things like, um, it depends how open she is to hearing this stuff. I'm not gonna. I'm not blaming her for how I feel, but I admit and I say, you know, when you dress that way, I want to touch you i want to hug you i i'd like to have sex with you because you know shouldn't we anyway not right this minute but you know and and I, you 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 need to communicate and be honest with each other otherwise it's the secret program that you're working as a, like a james bond you know what i mean with the living with i mean i'm sure that your spouse wouldn't want to torment you um so that's why I focus on love and admitting, saying how much I love you and, and taking actions of love and seeing where, you know, seeing where things go. Usually the lust kind of goes down, down, down when I do that. Um, because it's not about me, me, me. Um, it's just magical how that works. I think Roy was right. Lust kills love and love kind of, you know, for lack of a better word, neuters lust. <laughs> Um, best I can say, but eventually the communication. In other words, only... you, you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't work. You you just take the actions of love to improve your relations with others instead of working the fourth step together. Or like I'm, I'm saying, the challenge is that she's right there. You know, you go by the street. There's so somebody like you know something affects you is one thing, but she's like in your face the whole day. Like, how does that if, like? Is there a if, difference if you, in that? Is that intensity? Yeah. If you want to tell her to dress in a paper, in a large paper bag with two holes for her eyes, you're at liberty to do that. Communicate with her. I'm not joking. Communicate with her. Be honest with her. And the truth will come out and you're going to have to face the, the consequences of having a, a, like, not you particularly, but the person who makes such a demand will face the consequences of, of looking like a crazy person. And maybe that'll be the first time that, that the person will actually face the fact that they have a lot of growing up to do, you know, and, and, and communicate honestly, obviously that's not what I'm going to say, but, but, you know, it's never going to be her fault that I act out because she looks too good. I mean, that's, I'm sorry. Um, if she's doing things that are outrageous, then, you know, hey, <laughs> you need therapy and there's nothing to be ashamed of, you know, get together with talk first, communicate, communicate, communicate. Um, I don't see what this really has to do with anything but my feelings and the truth about myself. I can admit to my wife, for example, even though she's not in program, I, I don't have to use programmees to her. I can just say the truth, which is. If I were in that kind of a situation, I, I'm pretty sure I'd be able to say, you know, when you wear that outfit, I just think about having sex later tonight, and it really gets my engine going. I'd rather not turn that on. I'd rather just focus on you and be happy without that annoying thing, you know, that I've got. Could you do me a favor and wear a different outfit? I mean, if she has a problem with that, you know, so then you're going to be blessed because she's going to admit that to you and you're going to know her much better. It's just, this is a win-win as far as I'm concerned. If she refuses to stop doing things that are things that you 
feel, you know, are uh, exciting f- to you, then, you know, why not go to a marriage counselor? Like, why not meet with a third party and, and, and discuss it, a safe person and, and discuss that, uh, you know, it's kind of like you, let's say, um, uh, snoring and keeping your wife up awake at night and being unwilling to do anything about it. It's just, it's just not, it's just not right. If, if, if you're in a partnership, you're in a partnership. That doesn't mean it's your fault. Everything that bothers them is your fault, but you're in a partnership. You're, you're, you know, you're on the same team. No. So be honest. But what's highly toxic, I think, to any relationship is making up nonsense like you're triggering me and you're triggering me and you're triggering me. It's it, I'm the one with the problem, not you. Um, I think that's one of the big differences between Al-Anon and, and uh, AA or S-Anon and SA. Al-Anon are, yes, there are many people in Al-Anon and, and, and S-Anon who, who will because they're married to a sexaholic, they're going to end up working a program and then they're going to discover things about themselves that are wonderful, that they never would have discovered otherwise. And they'll see ways that they're not well, that they wouldn't have faced without being married to a sexaholic or an alcoholic. And they'll say, well, thank God I, I, I found this program. Uh, and thank God I married this sick guy or sick gal and ended up having to face my own stuff. And da, da, da. yeah, there are a few. Might be many. I know that's like a, a cheerleader kind of thing to do. But the fact is, I think that most people who marry an addict, I, I, I don't know if you can really say, well, if they wouldn't have married me, they would have married another addict because they're sick. Like, I, I'm not sure if that's a very helpful attitude or a realistic one either. You don't know that. That's for them to decide or God to know. As far as I know, I'm the one that's got a problem pissing them off and making, and and what I do subverts the relationship and the marriage and uh, what's the words Roy uses Um, uh, uh, violated um, uh, trusts have been violated and stuff. I betrayed my spouse, you know? So so now they have to live with my betrayal. So they have the right to say I'm, that, that they're being triggered by me when I uh, go out to lunch with a, with, a, with a woman at my work. They have the right to say that triggers them, you know, because I introduced a problem into their lives. Let's face it. So Al-Anon and Esanon are, to some degree, 100%, in my understanding, in, in, in rights to say, I've got a lot of triggers and other people are doing this to me. Now, if you talk to anyone in those programs, they'll say, yeah, that's how it starts because I'm working at, at Al-Anon with my sponsor. Now, um, they'll say, yeah, that's how it starts. But now you got to look at yourself, just like I said about steps four and six. Now I need to understand that they might be triggering to me, but the problem is mine and mine alone. Um, so that's how it ends, you know, um, you know, just like a sexaholic, AA goes through this very clearly running away is not going to solve your problem saying, Oh, I can't see that. Oh, I can't see that. Taking off my glasses and, and doing all these things are temporary solutions, but that's not the answer to the problem. It's just not. The problem's mine. It's my way of dealing with those people. I might not be ready at in early sobriety to, I mean, for years and years, I, I couldn't carry change in my pocket because I would make a phone sex call on a, on a payphone. So I didn't carry change in my pocket until my sponsor said, when I told him I needed to call him, but I didn't have change in my pocket. He said, why aren't you carrying change in your pocket? And I said, because I know I can't control having change. He said to me, I was two and a half years sober. And he said to me, Dove, you can carry change in your pocket by now. Okay. And I was like, oh, okay. And I carry change in my pocket without a problem. You know, I would never have been able to have internet at home in my first seven years of sobriety. 
to have un, like unaccounted internet. Our filters aren't going to stop me. So if, <laughs> it's a joke. So if I would have, I'm just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't have it. I had to get rid of it for a while. Um, but now I, for many years, I've had for, since around seven or eight years sobriety, I've had unfiltered. I never, I don't have, a, I don't have a filter on any of my devices because I don't. I mean, what's that going to do me if I want to, if I want to misuse it, I'm going to misuse it. But early on, maybe a filter would have helped. I don't know. But in the beginning, even a filter wouldn't have helped. You know, I can't have that around. I'm too sick. It's not that it's triggering. It's that I'm too sick. And when people say, you triggered me, why don't they just say, I am upset because when I heard you say X, Y, and Z, uh, it, it reminded me of A, B, and C. Why don't we just say that and get our money's worth? Why do we say you triggered? <laughs> it's, it's like throwing money and time down the drain. It's not, it, the issue is never what they did. The issue is always how I'm responding to it. So say how I'm responding to it and don't say you triggered me. That's, that's, that's their part. It's just such a waste of time. It's such a useless victim attitude. Just not helpful. You know, it's like saying I'm lusting. <laughs> say what you're doing. You know what I mean? Say it. And, and if you're in a meeting and it's inappropriate, then, then, then it, to get into details, then say it to your sponsor. Be, be, be honest. Explicit sharing isn't about saying exactly what cream I used or something. It, it's, it's about being honest. You know, the details, some details are only for private, obviously. But, but if, if I'm just going to say I'm lusting, so then, of course, some people say, go to the opposite extreme, but that's extremism. Just be honest, you know. Saying I'm triggered is, is just useless. It's, it's not speaking out the truth, you know? So if my, again, getting back to your point, if my spouse is doing certain things that are problematic for me, then there's a reason for that. Thanks, Dove. Um, tell them I've got a problem with you, what you're doing. It has, we have to communicate at some point. If you can't communicate that to your spouse, then, um, you know, what kind of a relationship is that? But I'm going to finish with this. But, but if every time a sexaholic communicates to their spouse these kinds of things, the spouse walks away feeling blamed, there's probably a reason for that because they probably are blaming them for it. If she stops doing it, it's not going to solve your problem, really. We have two hands up here. Um, yeah, thanks, buddy. Tamo. Tamo. Yeah, thanks, Nancy. Uh, thanks, Duff, for your share. I'm Tamo Sexaholic. I was wondering you. if you have any experience uh, of taking a sponsee through the steps and then he suddenly relapses. So, are there then specific uh, actions you take as a sponsor with the sponsee? Could you maybe elaborate a bit of that? Yeah. Yeah, that's a big one. Um, obviously, a sponsee is in charge, so to speak, of their own recovery. They're the only ones who are, no one gets buried with us. You know what I'm saying? No one enjoys things with us. No one suffers with us. I can sit with someone and, you know, kind of share in their suffering, but I'm not, I'm not actually suffering with them. And, and, and if I were, it wouldn't actually take away from their actual suffering magically. And now they're like, okay, you know, it, it doesn't, we don't, to dilute someone else's uh, enjoyment of a steak if we sit next to them and, you know, and eat pieces of their steak. It's the same way, the opposite way. So, so they're in charge of their recovery. If they went through the steps with, with their sponsor, with me, and it seems to be working, they had like a change in the way they look at life then that, that seems to work for them. And, which is a very separate thing, they had a first step acceptance of the fact that they're sick and can't successfully use erotic adventure, then, then, um, um, 
then if they act out, I mean, we all screw up from time to time in different ways. I can't tell you how many times by all rights, I should have gotten into a car accident because I was looking at a, you know, a tree or something. Um, and, but, you know, by God's grace, the car that, that passed me honking, you know, was one inch over, you know what I'm saying? We, and then sometimes we hit things because of carelessness or mistakes. We, we all make mistakes. So we might lose our sobriety because we simply make a mistake. It's not like the end of the world. You lost everything. It's like, no, maybe, but, but maybe not, you know, um, it's hard to know that. The sponsee has to decide whether they need to start from the very beginning um, or check into rehab to, to really get a better start or, or, or sit down with you and say, you know, I, I acted out. I, I can't believe it. It was such a stupid thing. Well, what happened? Okay. And they'll tell you the whole story and then you'll ask them, you know, okay, sometimes you act out, not because you're dissatisfied with life and you're angry at your spouse or your job or your child or your parent or your or you get disappointed with yourself or your you get to your 60th birthday and you're afraid of death and you act out in response to that or something it's not always because i know we love that people love that like well what's the underlying my sponsor used to say yes yeah, sometimes there's an underlying thing but sometimes you act out for a very simple reason you're a sexaholic sexaholics act out sometimes you know you, you like lust you know sometimes that sometimes that's pretty much all it is i don't think it's a sticking a dagger into the heart of the program if we say that there doesn't have to be an underlying deep spiritual emptiness and loneliness and hunger and god-shaped hole and blah 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 i, I don't know yes that's true 100 percent. but do we have to say does it if we say maybe this time it was just because I made, I liked, I thought I just took a liberty that I couldn't take. I was stupid. Is that a dagger in the heart of the program? Are we now like, nope, take away his, his card. He's no longer a card carrying member of SA. He said he dared to say that. I, I don't think that that's sensible. Some, that might be it sometimes, but they should definitely start facing. They should look at their lives and see, you know, have I been going crazy about something for months and haven't admitted it to myself? Of course, they should look at that first. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.